0: Welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Reese, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to explore a collection of creepy ghost stories that, to quote the title of an M.R. James story, they all serve as a warning to the curious. And the stories coming up on this episode range from a phantom horseman to a baby-stealing poltergeist, even some miniature apparitions that scuttle around the home like the fairy folk. And while these stories might seem unrelated or very loosely connected then, they do have some things in common. Firstly, they all take place in Wales, secondly they were all reported as being true these are if you choose to believe them true ghost stories and thirdly so the narrator tells us they all contain some kind of warning from the other side and some of these warnings are quite subtle some are quite explicit Some are so bizarre, I can't even work them out myself. But what I can say is that all of the stories that follow are fascinating in their own different ways. And even if I can't uncover their true meaning, I will narrate them to you as I found them. And I will leave it up to you, dear listener, to make up your own minds on what you think is going on in this collection of creepy tales. And so, to begin at the beginning our first ghost story our first curious instance of a supernatural warning begins at eight o'clock one summer evening when several neighbors happen to be at the blacksmith's house together having a quiet smoke and a gossip what could be better On a balmy summer's evening in 19th century Wales than getting together at the blacksmith's house for a gossip and a smoke. Although I should insert a quick disclaimer here and say back in the 19th century of course they were oblivious to the dangers of smoking that we now know about so... Don't smoke, kids. But back to it. And sadly, we don't know exactly where this blacksmith was based because the name of the Hamlet has intentionally been disguised. And this happens a lot in these old ghost stories. I've mentioned this many a time on this podcast because people back in the day, for whatever reason, didn't want to be associated with such tales. But... By doing a little bit of detective work, we can usually try and pinpoint the location of these stories. And in this case, we know the name of the hamlet starts with an N. We know it ends with an E. And we know it was only a few miles from a mansion called Wern Avon, which regular listeners might remember is also supposedly haunted and was the scene of a strange death omen as discussed on episode 83. And now on that episode, using my detective skills, I suggested that the location of this house was in Pembrokeshire, on the banks of the Avon, Wern, the river Wern. And if indeed that is correct, then that would suggest that this hamlet is also in Pembrokeshire and not too far from the river. But wherever it took place, let's get back to the tale. And it was about 8 p.m. when this group of neighbours were sitting in a room at the back of the smithy, as they called it, which faced the main road. Suddenly, the talkers in this room were startled by the sound of a tremendous crash. Somebody exclaimed, someone's cart must have upset on the road. And they all rushed out through the shop, fully expecting to see some bad accident. But to everyone's surprise, all was still. The road was empty and there was no sign of any vehicle in either direction. So it was a strange event. Granted, they heard the sound of a big crash on the street. It sounded like a cart being upended. But when they went to investigate, they could find nothing we are told they were much perplexed by what had happened and then they went home until the next evening when most of them again were back at the blacksmiths it sounds like (laughs) wherever this was the blacksmiths was the party place to be back in the day gossip and smoking at the blacksmiths once more they were back there and of course they began to discuss the strange incident of the night before But as the clock struck eight, again came the same terrific noise. Once more, they ran outside. And this time, they found a heavy laden cart upset on the road just outside the forge. So this time, once again, they heard the sound. And when they rushed outside, they did find the source of it. And to quote once more, Nobody seems to have been killed or even hurt by the accident. And one wonders why, in this case of such an apparently unimportant event, such an impressive and collective warning should have been given. So, to, to, to recap that quickly, the implication is that many people in the village were given this paranormal warning for want of a better description a big group of them were all given this warning the night before and the event did indeed come true but in the grand scheme of things, what was the purpose of it? None of them could act on it, really, because they, they had no idea what was going to happen it would be 24 hours later. It might have been a week. It might have been a month later. And even if they had known, all that had happened was a cart had been upset, which is slightly annoying if it's your cart. But otherwise, nobody was killed. Nobody was hurt. Nothing was destroyed. Absolutely nothing. What was the point of this warning? Well, it's answers on a postcard to that one, isn't it? But maybe our next tale can shine some light on what is going on in this episode, because the next one takes place in the same hamlet, in this mysterious place that starts with an N, where there was a little house nearby to the blacksmiths that was, we are told, reputed to be haunted. And in a totally unconnected account from a Mister Z. Zed for Zebra or Mr. Z for Zebra for my North American listeners. But according to this Mr. Z, who again, his name has been disguised. Everything is so secretive on this episode. But Mr. Zed, we are told, is an old gentleman well versed in the antiquities and folklore of his district. So he had a pretty good idea of the spooky happenings in this place. And he recalled a tale about this haunted house which was called T here which is t y t and here h i r which means long house in welsh and it was at the turn of the 20th century that the man who lived there used to see to quote curious little people of the size that could run under a chair walking about the house So, to explain that bit again, actually, I'll just repeat it because it's quite a remarkable description. He used to see curious little people of the size that could run under a chair walking about the house. Which, never mind supernatural warnings and paranormal signs from beyond the grave, this sounds to me more like it's haunted by the kind of creatures you might describe as the fairy folk or the Tulloth Tig in welsh these are creatures small enough to run under a chair and to continue we are told that this man was so nervous of what he heard and saw that he would never if he could help it stay alone in the house and mr zed who seemed to collect such tales mr zed spoke once to an other man who had often gone to keep the company of the man living in this haunted house on Sundays. So he spoke to someone who visited regularly on Sundays on the Lord's Day. And this second man told Mr. Z that though he himself had seen nothing, yet he had heard noises which were quite unaccountable so while he hadn't seen them with his own eyes he he had experienced some unexplainable phenomena in the house then which might suggest that maybe the man living in this house wasn't just making it up or wasn't a little bit deluded shall we say he could hear them but for a description of their appearance of what they looked like we need to turn back to the first man, because while they both heard them, it was only the first man who'd seen them with his own eyes. And according to him, the little people were said to exactly resemble in feature the former dwellers in the house. A little old man called Tom T. Here, named after the property Tom T. Here and his wife. Sadly, his wife's name is not recorded. So there's a lot going on in that description once again. This is one of those episodes, I think, where there's going to be a lot of pausing and a lot of what the heck was that description all about going on. But more than one person claims that this place is haunted. And the main man in this tale who lives in this haunted house claims that it's haunted by little fairy-sized ghosts that look like the two previous occupants and if we put aside the the more obvious explanations for such things like maybe he just had rats and the rats were causing the noise and maybe if he saw them scurrying about he mistook them for for ghosts fairies and then imagine that they had human faces and i i don't know i'm I'm playing devil's advocate for a moment but putting that aside it would appear that the previous occupants are still there in in some shape or form in 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 a very small shape or form by the sounds of it smaller versions of themselves now sadly we don't know what happened to tom t here full-size tom t here before he became this little tom thumb version of himself or his wife we don't know if they passed away and that is why the house was then reoccupied whether they sold it whether they moved away we don't even know if they're supposed to be alive or not at this point i'm assuming they're not if these are ghosts with their faces but what we do know is these little things were seen in the house and seemed to serve no real purpose positive or negative they weren't there to scare the occupant away as it were i mean he was terrified because this unexplainable phenomena was going on in his house but they weren't running around shouting boo and trying to scare him and At the same time, they were not helpful or seemingly they were not being helpful in the sense that, you know, the fairies might come along and clean your kitchen for you. They weren't doing that either. But maybe, just maybe, their appearances, their activity did coincide with upcoming events and if you knew how to interpret it then maybe what these creatures were in fact doing were acting as warnings they weren't just weird fairy ghosts with human faces they might well have been warnings if only the occupant had been curious enough to try and decipher these warnings, which is seemingly what our narrator believes who collected these stories. And to quote her once more, she says that these apparitions that act as protectors when people are in danger are occasionally heard of, which is an interesting way of looking at it. Were these apparitions, as they are described, protectors in some way? Were they protecting the occupant? Well, if we move on to the next story, and in this one, it is a bit less cryptic. In this one, we can clearly see how such an apparition could indeed act as a protector. And this story first appeared in a well-known Welsh newspaper in the early 20th century. And to quote from that newspaper, what follows is a story that seems strange even in these times of telepathic experiment. And just to interrupt quickly, I love that description. These were the glory days of telepathic experiment. The Victorian boom in spiritualism was behind us. People hadn't quite become disillusioned by it. The SBR were busy out and about gathering evidence. But anyway, back to this tale. This period is described as a time of telepathic experiment. And it was in these days that a story appeared concerning the Reverend John Jones of hollywell in flintcher one of the most prominent preachers of his day and the story goes like this he was once traveling alone on horseback from Bala to Machanthlith, where the country is wild and desolate. And just to interrupt quickly, I should point out, these are not my words. This is a quote, and it's a quote from uh, more than a 100 years ago. And I'm sure the conditions between Bala and Machanthlith have improved since then. But at the time, it was wild and desolate. And when emerging from a wood on horseback, he met a man carrying a sickle which might be quite a sinister sight in a modern day city to see someone walking around with a sickle but back in the day i am sure it was a very common popular farm in implement and the minister had first seen this man outside an inn as he rode past and they have a brief discussion with each other i am assuming the man with a sickle asked him the time because we are told that in answer to a question the minister gave information as to the time by his watch and A short time after, noticed the man had furtively moved into the field and was running alongside the hedge, removing the straw from his sickle as he ran. So, I said it wasn't that sinister to begin with, but now you might say this is a little bit odd. Because as the minister resumes his journey on his horse, alongside him, but over the hedge and in the field, this man is running along in the same direction and removing the straw from his sickle. And then it most definitely gets sinister. Because the minister notices the man Trying to conceal himself behind the hedge near the gate through which mr jones would have to pass so this crazy sickle man who, who might not be crazy but let's call him the crazy sickle man the crazy sickle man had effectively taken a shortcut through the field to try and cut off the minister and was now hiding behind this spot he was concealed out of sight with that sickle and maybe maybe he was just drunk the first time we saw him was outside an inn of course but the suspicion is this man does not intend to do any good to this famous preacher is he going to attack him is he going to rob him is he going to do even worse well we are told that firmly believing that the man intended to murder him the minister bent his head in prayer as he did so the horse became impatient and started off so suddenly that the minister had to clutch the reins which had fallen on the neck of the steed. Turning round to see if there was any available help, the minister was astonished to find close to his side a horseman. There was a horseman next to him in dark dress mounted on a white horse. So once again i did say there was a lot of crazy stuff in this episode which would need recapping so after praying his horse makes a bolt for it and when he turns around he realizes he's no longer alone and i don't mean the sickle man who is hiding up ahead there is now another horseman alongside him in dark dress on a white horse and we are told that no previous sound had been given of the stranger's presence mr jones told him of the danger he feared ahead but no reply was vouchsafed the stranger simply looking in the direction of the gate then the minister saw the reaper sheathing his sickle and hurrying away the gate was reached the minister hastened to open it for his mysterious companion and waited for him but the guard on the white horse had disappeared as silently and unobserved as he arrived. So, of all the tales on this episode so far, I think this is the most blatant example so far of what is going on. There isn't so much ambiguity with this one. There is a man who clearly seems to be in danger. The stranger turns up to, it seems like, to scare away the man with a sickle and then disappears himself. But we are not finished yet with this curious collection of loosely connected creepy stories and to wrap things up we will conclude with an account of a very frivolous spirit indeed and that is the story of the riverside ghost and it goes like this to quote once more rarely does one hear of a spook with a sense of humor but that quality as expressed by a taste for practical joking was evidently possessed by the intelligence that used to haunt the old house to which we have given the fictitious name Riverside. Yes, we're back to those fictitious names. And I should mention as well quickly that so far this ghost that's coming up has been described as frivolous and having a sense of humour. When you hear what it's actually accused of, personally I don't really think it's a laughing matter, but Anyway, back to the Riverside. And Riverside, we are told, was situated in one of the deep and beautiful valleys of South Wales and belonging originally to the family of. Reese, good old Reese family. So, possibly one of my distant ancestors, who knows? But anyway, the house dates back to the time of Henry VII. The last Reese there died about 40 years ago, so using my maths, I would say that would be the late 1800s. Since when, going into the early 1900s, the place has changed hands several times, though its present tenants have owned it for a long while and have apparently been left severely alone by the ghost. So at the time of writing, they're not being bothered by the ghost. But 50 years before that, which, using my mathematics skills again, I would say places that in the late 1800s, a visitor drops by. And this visitor is called Mrs. X. Yes, we're back to fake names for the people as well as the place. Mrs. X and her infant daughter went to stay at Riverside. And one evening after dinner, Mrs. X went upstairs to see her child, whom she had left sleeping in her own room. But what was her astonishment and subsequent alarm to find the cradle empty? She went back upstairs after food to find her baby had disappeared. On inquiry and search being made, no trace of the baby anywhere could be found, and the distracted mother rushed off to find her host and acquaint him with her anxiety. A baby has disappeared, but when she told Mr. Reese, he received the news with this astonishing remark. He said, Do not be alarmed. Wait. Patiently, and the baby will come back he then went on to say that all in the house were often annoyed by the tricks of the family ghost frequently books garments umbrellas anything in fact if left lying about would disappear in the most unaccountable way but if no notice were taken the articles were always returned in short time And Mr. Reese added he was convinced that the ghost had taken the infant and that she would certainly soon be returned. Now, I'm not sure how many of us would compare stealing a baby with stealing an umbrella, say, and not getting alarmed in this case, I think, would be easier said than done. Don't worry about your missing baby. It's only the family ghost. It'll be back before you know it. And it did prove to be cold comfort to the poor mother, we are told, who found the ghost theory a hard one to believe and prepared to endure a night of suspense as best she could left alone at length by her friend with many exhortations to try and sleep she could only lie miserably awake unsurprising really she could only lie miserably awake long in for the next day when search could be renewed but towards morning a sudden impulse seized her to get up and look once more at the cradle. When scarcely could she believe her eyes, for there, sleeping peacefully, lay the missing child, who, it may be added, was never afterwards any the worse for what sounds like a rather unpleasant adventure. Now, at this point, our narrator gets a little bit Italian with us, and sadly, I can't speak Italian yet. My pronunciation is rubbish, which is a shame because I think Italy is possibly my favourite country, and I do love listening to Italian, even if it's just trying to work out what's being said in Italian opera. But our narrator uses what was a popular phrase for the time and says, Se non è vero, è ben trovato. And apologies to my Italian listeners for massacring your, your language there. But what that means in English is that if it is not true, it is a happy invention. Or another way of looking at it is that a story was invented, yet plausible. I'll let you decide which one. But our narrator wraps things up by saying that the story probably isn't entirely true it has been embellished shall we say with time but it is grounded it is based in some kind of fact in it and while it might have its roots in the truth there's one final little spooky anecdote from this property called riverside which might shed some light on the events and it concerns a lady in a green silk dress who could be heard rustling about the house and this ghostly green lady had the unpleasant ghostly habit of appearing next to one's bedside at midnight. And sadly, we are told that the details about this ghost, what there were of them, were too vague in character to be worth more than a passing allusion. A pity, writes our narrator, Because as I have always thought, there might be interesting possibilities connected with the history of this daintily robed ghost whose presence in the old house was known by that gentle feminine sound, the soft rustling of silky attire. So to wrap things up there, what she's saying is that while that whole story about the baby stealing ghost might not be entirely true but does have one foot at least in reality is there a connection with these other sightings of a ghostly green lady who is seen and heard rustling about the house at midnight as with all of the other tales on this episode i think these particular mysteries are throwing up more questions than they answer And whatever connects these tales, if indeed there is a connection, as our narrator the compiler claims, I hope you've enjoyed this strange collection of tales. And as always, if so, if you haven't already, please consider hitting the subscribe button button and you'll never miss any of the other curious episodes coming up if you'd like to support the podcast you can treat me to a coffee via my website which is always very much appreciated or failing that you could just leave a quick nice review or give it a thumbs up or a five stars or whatever the options are on whatever platform you are consuming this on if you'd like more ghosts and folklore you can follow me on social media i'm on twitter i'm on facebook and i'm on instagram and And as well as this podcast, I've also written a number of books about similar weird and wonderful subjects which are available from all good bookshops offline and on. And on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. (laughs) Dioch and var am rando. Grazie mille per l'ascolto. And apologies once more to all of Italy. And on that note, it just leaves me to say I've been Mark Reis. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast, beaming to you from Wales to the world, including, of course, lovely Italia. Until next time, Andiamo and No Star.